we're continuing our, our really impactful series I've found on the keys of the kingdom. And, and as I said, we had a retreat here this weekend, um, twice a year. We, we normally do these uh, spiritual retreats as part of our um, uh, mid-course uh, curriculum that we do. And we, we invite participants out from our church and plus other churches who are doing the, the, the same materials uh, throughout the state. So we had six churches uh, represented here over the weekend from Friday through to uh, late last night. And bless our volunteers and our team members. And uh, we're probably, I think a whole bunch of them are just away recovering this morning. It's just been a massive weekend. But we, we have just seen the things that we've been talking about here. Uh, have been, we introduced them in practice, you know, yesterday. And it was, some of the highlights are fantastic. Uh, we had some people, particularly, I'm thinking of a couple of guys that I got to pray for yesterday from another church down on the Gold Coast, that you know, for 40 years plus has had no experience of what, it, what these keys of the kingdom look like, what it means to operate with the help of the Holy Spirit. And to see these two particularly big men, you know, and some guys are big, but they're small emotionally, I can say that. You know, they, they come across rough and tough, but you just got to push them a little bit and they burst into tears. Not these two. These guys were men of men. And I could just see the history and the legacy that they'd already had in their life, but God was touching them. And God was convicting and God was bringing them to life and offering them, you could just see they had this revelation of something that could, have, could be and should have always been in their life as they, they, they looked at their marriage and their, and their prayer life and their dedication to God and their commitment to career and just saw what needed to be altered there. And God was just breaking them down through the spirit which was overflowing into their emotions. And just, seeing, just knowing that that's going to go back to their church and that's going to become a movement of men in that church who are passionate for God just birthed out of something that, that this church, you know, you all play your part, that, that you, it's not just one speaker, we all, even if we're not here, we're supporting this thing, we're, we're behind the DNA of what we're doing here, and we're seeing churches all over uh, be impacted. The funniest part was, we, we ran a course called uh, Refocus, which we haven't done here since the beginning, and so a bunch of people from around the place signed up on this course, and um, so we thought, I want to try something new and apply what we uh, were teaching even last week about calling out God's intent. So I said, we're going to induct you into black belt commando Christianity, you know, and, and uh, taught them that they, and positioned them to pray. These guys, had, some of them hadn't prayed out loud in their life. And yet, by the end of the day, they were going to be commissioned to pray for 100 people out loud and hear the word of God over their lives. So the, the look of sheer terror on their face and to see that by the end of the day, it was so much like the Gospels where Jesus sent them out and they came back with, you should have seen what God did. And then the praise, obviously, in the nighttime, uh, and then the, the power of the God's spirit in ministry just uh, exploded. As people just, we go beyond listening, we go beyond learning, and we start applying this. And to see, you know, so many people activated in that part of their life. That's, that's what this church is about. This is our DNA. It's not about one person ministering. Right now, for 30 minutes, it's one man speaking, using his gift, and, and we're all listening. But that's that's not necessarily equipping. It's an important part. But what, what's the use of it if one person does that? It needs to be 200 people doing that because the world's bigger than what I can get to. You need to be out there doing this and normative in our Christian life because God's still got things to say to a lot of people that brings life and calls out the gold in their life. So it's been a fantastic journey for us so far. So we've looked, if I just piece through the series so far, we've, had, we've, we've seen that God's word, the Logos, one in... Uh, uh, John 1, uh, the writer there says that the Logos, this, this creative word of God has always been there, hovered over the waters of the deep and created all that we know. This Logos, in, in ultimately we, we come to know as Jesus, the expression of God. And in Hebrews, uh, it says that he is the perfect, the, the fullness 
of God is seen in him. If you want to know what God looks like, if you're ever confused, is he good, bad, judgmental, is he happy, what is he like, look to Jesus because he's the full expression. And that expression of God is, and the revelation of, of God to us has been growing over the years. But that word of God is still being expressed now through you. That, that the word of God lives in you. Christ, his spirit is in you and wants out. And we've seen then how we are called to be co-heirs with Christ. We're kingdom priests with one hand, so to speak, in heaven and one on earth, able to interject up there and able to pour down here from what comes from heaven. Let it be down here as it is up there. And then last week we saw how we are called to bless, that Abraham was given the calling to bless and, and uh, Paul bounced off that in the New Testament saying, you, you, your inheritance is to be blessed so that you can bless others. The whole world will change because we're in it and part of that blessing is to speak out and here comes the word of God again, still speaking out through his people. And that's, that blessing can call out the intent of God and the destiny of God over people. So Matthew 16, 19, Jesus says to us, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But what we find in reality is most of us, it's, we're, we're building a reservoir now of understanding. Some of us have practiced building a, a reservoir of belief in this. This is true, this is, but, but landing that tomorrow is something very different, isn't it? It's like, well, how do I, how do, I do that in real life? I don't, I'm not someone who would all, always be attentive to God's voice. I don't hear him all the time. I'm busy with my computer punching out reports and, and invoices and, and such. I, I haven't got an ear to hear. What do I do? How do I take this journey? And it's the, it's the intention for us to do that that is the powerfulness of what we see and what God's doing broadly. And this is now becoming, if, you, if this is the first time you've heard that sort of speak and to say this is normative Christianity, understand that Nationwide, this is becoming normative Christianity. It's, it's the most exciting thing. As church world, as we've known, it comes under more and more pressure. Old school church and old school religion ain't working anymore. And now we're getting right back to the core of what started this thing in the first place. The transformative power of God's word. The power of his spirit within us. And a dedication by his people to get out there and, and grab that mission and take it out. That's what changes the world. And so that's day by day and week by week, that's what we're trying to do here to make sure that we're fulfilling those objectives because the rest is up to God. Only he can change lives and communities. But if we're doing those three things, then we're on track to seeing that happen, and we are. So in the absence of specific guidance, I, I want to just take you another step again and, 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 I, and I ask for forgiveness for those who may have heard a bit of this message earlier in the year. There's a good chance that more than half of us probably didn't, but I want to talk into the concepts around peace uh, and authority, blessing, join all these together. And, um, and talk about how we have the authority to do that. This is one of the keys of the kingdom, is to bring peace. Uh, peace equaling shalom. And if you've done our refocus material or you've listened to our sermons over the years, um, probably the most refined theological statement I've ever made about the purpose of humanity is summed up as this, that God's purpose is fulfilled in us when he is glorified through an experience, a personal experience, and then an extension of this thing we call shalom, shalom. What is shalom? Is it just that I'm not in any fights with anyone right now? No, that's, that's not what it was intended. Uh, a theologian called Plaktinda defines it this way, that shalom is eternal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied, natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and saviour opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom, in whom he delights Shalom is basically the way things ought to be. It's peace with God 
peace with each other, peace with the world, peace with myself, and peace with this world, the cosmos, the, the natural world. So things are as they were designed to be. My kingdom come, when he's talking that way, he's saying, let shalom be, the created order, let it be. And so what we find is that shalom is distinct in our hearts. Our experience of that shalom is distinct from the people and circumstances in which we're embedded. So the shalom, the the peace that God offers me, and Jesus was really clear, I've given you peace. If we haven't got it, we've got to ask the first question is, who, who did I give it to? Because it's an authority that he's given to me. He gave me the authority to have and extend peace in this world. If I'm not experiencing it, I've given that authority over to someone else. So it becomes an authority conversation. But very clearly, Jesus said, John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have shalom, you may have peace. In this world, out there, you will have trouble. So just get used to it. I don't bring it, I don't like it, I don't design it, and I don't bring it on you. The world does that fine but I've given you something different that's bigger than that. I have have overcome the world. John 14, 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I don't give you what the world gives, because what does the world give? Trouble. Don't let your hearts be troubled. So he's saying the world's gonna give you trouble, but that doesn't mean your heart is required to be troubled. There's a distinction, there's a gap, there's a partition between what happens out there and what can happen in here. Don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be afraid. So what I'd like to do is take you through an exercise and just let, let the Holy Spirit talk to you in the way that you perceive the Holy Spirit. Often it's through an impression, he, he speaks to us through pictures, words, all sorts of ways, scripture and so on. And I want us to go, to go through a, an experience of Mark chapter 6, which is between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. It's, it's the episode where Peter walks on water and, and it's, all, it's all pretty much out of control. Jesus has had a moment where he's, he's very troubled himself in circumstantially at least, where John the Baptist uh, has, has been decapitated. Uh, he wants to go and have some time out and just uh, reconsider uh, all that in his own heart. But then the 5,000 come and, and, he, and he gets his game face back on and Simon can't do it and says, send these people away. He says, how about you feed them? And, and we see the, the feeding of the 5,000 and their families. And then he sends them away on a boat. And it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So after leaving him, uh, he got his chance to, to have his time out with God. He went up the mountainside to pray. Later that night, so this is now quite a few hours later, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land and he saw the disciples straining at the oars. So one must wonder how did he see them it's, if it's the middle of the night. They either weren't very far away and there was a good moon that night or he's seeing uh, in the spirit what's going on there. But he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Place yourself now in a parallel of this situation. So you, you are, uh, if you've given your heart to Christ, you are his followers. You've gone from, from being a fan to a follower. You're in, you're in the boat with him. He's, he's, you've placed your faith in him. You've got a, a reasonable amount of guidance for your life and you're on a trajectory that probably includes your version of straining at the oars, does it not? It's like, look, I know God, I love God, I'm, I'm living the faithful life. But now I'm on the water and he sent me along my life. I've got a mortgage and kids and, and I've, got, I've got all of my stresses and all the stuff that's weighing down on my shoulders. And to be frank, the wind's blowing against me quite often. And here I am. I'm not sure where Jesus is some days. I'm in the boat. My mates are in the boat with me. Jesus, where you at? But in faith, we just keep rowing the boat. You've had your good experiences with him. You've had, you've had confusion, you've had questions unanswered, but you're faithful and you're doing the whole thing. And you're on the heading of life, whatever is your heading in life. 
but you may be to some extent troubled with life. You may be worried about things. You may be striving, whatever it is, which is the concoction that makes up the recipe of your life. You, you probably know what it feels like. I'm just, I've just got to keep rowing. I can't stop rowing. I've got to keep doing this. I can't, what else is there to do? This is life. So it goes on. Shortly before dawn, he, Jesus, went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the lake and they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified, as if they weren't scared enough at the time. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it's I. I love the, I love the recording of this in Mark chapter 6 because the other gospels don't say it, but Jesus was, they were in the boat and they're having a hard time and he's, just going, he's about to walk by. He's just sailing on. It doesn't say he intended to get in the boat. And, and, but some of the greatest lessons of their life are being, are being taught in this moment between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And he's, he's offering them in this highlight moment, probably at his weakest moment, you know, but, but he's saying, hey, these, these lessons that I have for you, I'm not ordering you to keep them. I'm not ordering you to learn them, but I'm offering them for you. And he doesn't hide from us sometimes the hiddenness of God, is, we're very aware of that. We think, where, where is he gone? But he's not hiding from you. He's hiding for you. Because in the hiding, in, in the hiddenness, it's an invitation to come and seek me. He won't order you to do it, but he invites you to do it. It's a key principle in this life of faith. So he's going by and they see him and they go, hey, yeah, come on over. Oh, great, you got that far, guys. That's great. That's fantastic. But they were afraid, and it says they were afraid, and they were amazed by the time he finally got in the boat. They were amazed, it says, because they didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes that had happened the previous afternoon. There's a connection between Jesus walking on water that we don't quite understand and this thing that happened on the, on the shore before with the feeding of the 5,000. And he's just about to prove it to them again because they're pretty thick-skulled, these poor guys. They never really quite got it. He said, they didn't understand. So what's the missing link here? What's the lesson that we should learn from this feeding of the 5,000? Keep in mind, this, we're talking here about peace and you're, you're the person rowing on the oars. Have we learnt the lesson about the previous provision God's given us? Have you experienced a miracle in your life? Have you ever seen God provide for your life? Part of the lesson here is that that becomes the low watermark for your faith. That becomes the starting point for faith now. Not, oh, I hope I get to there again one day. That's one of the sorts of lessons we can learn there. I love in Mark chapter 8 where it picks it up again. And he's just fed the 4,000 and then argued with the Pharisees who say, give us bread. And he's saying, well, just, how much bread do you guys want? You know, and in John chapter 6, you pick up that story. But then they get back in the boat. It's just my favourite moment in Scripture. They get back in the boat. They fed 5,000 their families, 4,000 their families. Simon Peter gets in the boat and he's only got one loaf of bread that he's tucked away out of one of the baskets. You know. He goes, I can't tell everyone else. I've only got one loaf of bread. It's enough for me. And, he, and, and Jesus goes, what are you doing? You know, why, why is your thinking beginning with what you think you lack after all that you've just seen? And he pulls an algebra moment on them. Now, I used to love algebra, but this one doesn't make sense. And he, and he pulls them up in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to come back to this ocean thing in a moment. But he pulls them up and he says, when I fed the 5,000, uh, how many loaves were there? Five. Right, there were 5,000 people. How many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. And he pulls the algebra on them. He goes, okay, it's 5L uh, divided by 5,000 in brackets plus X factor, which is Jesus, 
equals 12B, 12 baskets. Solve for X, right? You might want to do that in your head, solve that for X. So 5L divided by 5,000 in brackets plus X factor equals 12B. What's the answer to that? Then you'll come up with a number. But then he says, what about what I just did now? There were, how many loaves were there? Seven loaves, great. How many people? 4,000 in brackets plus X factor equals how many baskets were left over? Seven. And, go, and he's got, oh, simultaneous equations. Let's solve both for X. X is different. It doesn't make any sense. He's saying, yes, that's the point. What's the X factor? Well, the X factor is a variable. It just keeps changing on us, Jesus. Yes. What was the need? And what was the need afterwards? It doesn't matter because whatever the need is, X will always meet the need. Jesus will always meet the need. The X factor is always me because whatever the problem is, I'm always the answer to the question. There's no limit to what I can do. You don't define the question by algebra. It's like, what's the human need? I'm here to meet human need and I'll fit the provision based on the need. That's the sort of lesson that they should have been learning from their algebra test on the hill. Anyway, they're, in the, they're, they're on the ocean, rowing away. That's you and me. Had a great Sunday last Sunday, but I'm, I'm rowing the boat. Yeah, but maybe we didn't understand the lesson of blessing. Maybe there was a factor there that would change my week this week, you know. So it goes on, Matthew 14. And what I'd like to do is have us just close our eyes and picture ourselves now. We're in the boat between the feedings and we're afraid. So let's just close our eyes and invite the Holy Spirit just to talk to us. Lord, we just want to bless your presence right now and we pray that you would just speak into our hearts. So there, there you are and you're in the boat. Just picture yourself in the boat. There's Simon Peter and, and the rest and John, Andrew, and you're in there as well. There's Thomas having a gripe about what he doubts. There's Peter making grandiose promises. There's John just saying, gee, I miss just being close to Jesus, you know, strained at the oars. But there's you this, and, then, and it's your life and you're thinking, I'm straining and you become aware in your shoulders of the strain of your life. You become aware in your heart because you're actually, even though you're a fisherman, these waves are probably three or four metres high and you're afraid because this boat's not that big. The boat of your life may not be big enough to sustain the waves of the trouble that you're in right now. The debts may be too big. The opposition may be too strong. The fear in your heart about what can go wrong with your kids might be overwhelming your soul and it might be owning you right now. You might be confused. You're in the boat. And then they see, you see Jesus and you hear Peter, Simon Peter, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. What's your response to Peter right now? Arrogant so-and-so. Who does he think he is? Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you're the son of God. Who are you in that boat right now? What was your response? Did you want to follow Simon Peter out? You want to be second out? Were you thinking, there's no way known, I'd ever do that? Maybe you're just sitting there saying, I, just, I wish I could just go have a prayer time right now because I'm just, <laughs> I'm just struggling. Maybe you're just freaking out. It's just all too much. Okay, let's open our eyes. 
be interesting today. I'd love to workshop this now. I'd just love to get some feedback where you're, where you're all at, what, where you saw yourself in the boat. It's been it's amazing responses that we hear when we do that exercise. Simon was brash. You know, he, had, he was full of big words, but he couldn't follow through. But, you know, did you want to be him? Did you wish you were him? Um, maybe you thought you'd do better. Who knows? But I wonder what's troubling you. Is there anything troubling you? Has anything robbed your peace? Because one of the keys of the kingdom is, I give you authority. And one of those authorities is to have peace. You own that. It's your peace. It's not to give away. No one else owns your peace unless you choose to give it to them. No circumstance owns it. There's supposed to be a difference between your trouble uh, and your peace. So we, uh, we've seen in days gone by, and we'll just put these slides quickly up on screen. The first one is um, the Hebrews used to have a term for chaos, for trouble, chaos. And, um, and this symbol was mem, the Hebrew word, uh, letter mem, which was often used for water, but it was also used for chaos and confusion. So in Genesis 1, where it talks about the creation story, where the waters were, were the, and the spirit was hovering over the waters, that water was, was mem, it was, it was confused, it was chaotic, there was no form, there was no, the kingdom hadn't come yet in that sense. And so could the creation story is bringing shalom to the chaos. And so mem was, was their pictograph that they used to have for this trouble for this chaos. But if, the, if you look at the word for shalom, shalom actually includes the, the, the letter for chaos. But we'll put it up on screen now and look at the other letters that add to that. And these three other letters or pictographs, the first one, and I've put it back to front because uh, the Hebrews would read from right to left, but, we, but I've inverted them so we get the logic of this thing. The first one we see there is jagged teeth. Um, it's supposed to represent gnarly teeth, destroying teeth that can crush and kill. That's the word sheen depicting uh, destruction. The next uh, word is lamed, which represents a shepherd's staff. It doesn't look like it there, but that's, uh, that's the way it ended up becoming. In, but a, a shepherd's staff, like remember Moses had to throw his staff down? The shepherd's staff represents authority. So when they're putting a word together that uses authority, they'll put the shepherd's staff there. Then finally, vav, which is an iron hook or a nail, something that connects things together. And so the, what this means is, if you put the, the, the words up underneath there, is that Shalom is to crush authority connected to chaos. So we have the authority, we've been given shalom. And that shalom brings with it the ability to crush the authority that's connected to chaos. Because those waves that are in your life, that trouble that comes to your life, has a degree of authority connected to it if you give it to it. But the shalom that God's given you has the authority to take that pain away. It won't take the trouble away, it'll take the authority away because it, no, it has no reason to be in there. In this world, you will have trouble. Let your hearts not be troubled, because I give you peace. And so if we bow to the authority of chaos, we're allowing that chaos to impact us. We become troubled. We become scared. You know, and we all have moments. I understand this. I have moments too. And, and as we go through life, the troubles that come to us, the more our capacity grows and the more our calling grows, the trouble seems to grow with it. You know, they don't go away. It's just that we need to grow the ability to find peace again. We need to be able to apply this to our life. But there seems to be this bridge from our chaos to our heart and we become a victim of our chaos and we need to put a dividing line there and say, no, you don't have authority over my life. You don't have authority. Uh, I've been given the key of the kingdom and it's for me to manage. So calamity can exist, but not in me. And so obviously we see the other story in the Gospels of Jesus in the boat where he's sleeping and uh, the trouble's out there, the, the waters are, are stirring, you know, but he, there's no trouble in him. 
And, and unless you have the ability to sleep through the storms the way Jesus did, there's no way you have authority over that storm just to quell it. So the authority that we come, for, come from comes from that shalom and that authority that's already in us. So trouble's inevitable, but chaos is not inevitable in our hearts. Peace is available to us, but it's not automatic. Like salvation, it's available to everyone, but it's not automatic. Grace is given, but do we receive it? Peace is given, but it's not automatic. So how do we find it? Romans 14, 17 says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of religious festivals. It's not a matter of formulas. It's not a matter of have I earned this peace yet? Do I deserve it because I've been a great guy today? It's completely irrelevant. It comes from righteousness, which is given to us from Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us in our place. He paid the penalty for our sin. You are righteous if you put your faith in him to do that in your life. So this shalom, this kingdom, because kingdom, shalom uh, are often interchangeable in concept at least, uh, comes from righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So where does all this come from? The joy, the peace, it, it comes from the Holy Spirit. So here we go again, it's always connected. It always comes back to God dwelling in your life. So the king's domain, the, where, where Jesus is Lord, that domain is shalom. It's the way things ought to be and it's found in and through his presence only. Where there is no God there, there is no shalom there. So how's it going there? How's our, how are we engaging with God in our heart? Because where he is activated in our heart, where we're leaning on him, there is peace. So this is our calling to live from and to extend. All right, let me give you some uh, helpful add-ons. And I realise we've given you a fire hose over the last um, uh, couple of weeks with this stuff, but I want to give you one more set of tools. And I call these the prayers of peace because I love acronyms. And if you can find stuff that just lines up really well, it's just awesome uh, because I can make little cards and give them to you. But, um, and it just works for me. Uh, I can remember it. So I want to give you these prayers of peace because often we don't know how to pray. Do I have authority to pray that? I don't know. It's okay for Pat. He reads the Bible all the time. But I'm not sure what to do. So what we can rely on is what Scripture tells us. So if, if Scripture is true and gives us, uh, teaches us how to pray and what to pray, then we, can then we can rely on that as a great template for what to do. So I want to give you some biblical prayers that you can apply to your life, but you can also apply it as the authority that God's given you to pray and bless the intent, the calling of God out from other people's lives as well. So it doesn't just need to be generic in that sense, Lord bless them, you can pray these prayers of peace. So let me go through this acronym uh, fairly briefly. First, P in peace stands for peace. It just seemed to work. Uh, Philippians 4.7 uh, is, a, is a prayer that we can pray in accordance with. We can claim this because it's true. And it's not only true, it's always true. See, not all truth is created equal. Some things are true, but they're not true all the time. So I, I can't read every, every verse in Scripture and apply it to my life because it doesn't apply to my life. If, if all the books of prophecy, for example, I can't, I can't pull a verse out of there and make it mean in my life what it didn't mean back then. It's true, it's, it's true, it's absolutely true. I just can't say it's true for me right now in my situation because they might not be connected. So scripture, when we're using scripture, it can't mean now what it didn't mean then. Right? So this is, that's just good, we call this hermeneutics in the, in the pastor world. You can't twist and conform it to meet your needs. But when true is true all the time true, when true is true true, you can always apply it. Philippians 4.7 is true true, true squared. 
The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's always true. There's never a time where that can't be applied to your life. So you can pray that. Say, I claim this peace of God. I, I pray for this peace that is beyond all understanding and I pray it will guard my heart and I accept that peace. But I do it for you as well and I pray that you would know this peace of God because it's beyond what you can figure out. You can't nut it out. You, you, no, it doesn't matter what your IQ is. It doesn't matter how many books you've learned. You're not gonna, that's not going to give you peace. It's a revelation from his spirit that does it. It's beyond your understanding and that will guard your hearts. You can pray that over your family, over your workplace, where there's chaos. You can pray that with incredible authority and see the results of that. E stands for enlightenment in my little acronym. And this isn't all-consuming. There are more things we can pray for. These just fit in within peace. E is for enlightenment. There are some truths that are so profound, they're beyond our ability uh, to cognitively grasp them. We're just not that smart. God's far beyond us. And we need the Spirit's help to enlighten us in these truths. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 12 says, we've received the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. In other words, there are things that we can only understand because the spirit reveals them to us. In scripture, we see a lot of examples. Um, uh, Jamie prayed out Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. That's a great example. It's the most effective evangelistic prayer that you can do, that you would pray that this person would have a revelation of the goodness and the greatness and the love of God, how big and wide it is, because it's impossible to see how good God is and not run towards him. But Ephesians 1 is the one that I really like with this, this sort of thing of enlightenment. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The, the, when Paul says eyes of your heart, he's talking about your spirit, that your spirit may be enlightened. He's talking there about revelation, that God would reveal to you something in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And that word know is gnosis. It's not, it's not oida. Oida means I understand that, I've got that, I can check a box and read a book on it. Gnosis is it's a relational, dynamic, moving experience. It's experiential knowledge. I don't just know about it, I experience it. So he prays that the heart may be enlightened in order to know the hope to which we're called, the glorious riches of his inheritance and the incomparably great power. That's just my favourite word right now. Incomparably great power for us who believe. Has that been your experience in your life so far of, of God's power and grace? Incomparably or does, does the Spirit's work in your life compare to your own strength? Because it's supposed to be incomparable. And it's, and it's on offer, but it's not ordered. But if we can press in, we can discover these incredible keys of the kingdom. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. So we can be praying that God enlightens us through his Spirit. What we've got to then do is get our mind, our, our, our soul, mind, will, and emotions trained to be able to perceive what the Spirit's revealing to us. It's very unwestern, but it's very biblical valid. Number three uh, is A. A is for adoption. And this is one of the most powerful and yet under-mentioned under, uh, and misunderstood parts of the power and the authority that comes from peace. I've had a personal experience of this uh, that, that is life-changing, life-defining. When uh, particularly those who've had troubled uh, family situations, fathers that may have abused or let you down or, or neglected you and so on, this prayer of adoption that we can pray for ourselves and for others is unspeakably powerful as the human spirit comes home to Papa God, where we realise I'm never alone, I'm, I'm never to be abused, he never leaves me, he can't forsake me. And we see it in uh, Romans 8 and Galatians 4, and the, the Galatians one says that because you are sons, in other words, because you've placed your faith in Christ and now you're an heir with him, because of that, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, this spirit who calls out, 
and I'm being very dignified today, calls out, it calls out, you know, scream out, Dad, Abba means dad in, in Aramaic, but, but it's just inspired to speak that out very loudly. It's just so un-Australian. You know, we're so dry and stoic and, oh Lord, we pray. You know, we, you know, we, we, it, I get so weary of being dignified. You know, this is why I love our retreat weekends. People just wave flags where they shouldn't and then people holler and, and dance and have a fantastic time and it's just like, Dad, we love you, you know, and the, the rawness of our heart gets a chance to be expressed. It's fantastic. But you, if you've had this experience, then I know so many of us probably haven't, but the invitation is there for you to come home to Dad, to come home in your heart because that's where peace lives. Prayers of adoption. Next one is C for clarification. God can clarify things. Confused, needing guidance, uh, he'll give it to you. God's direction in our lives is more readily available than you would think, especially if we actually ask the right question. If he's not answering or we're not hearing uh, the answer to our question, it's probably because it's a wrong question. If we give him the right question, he will answer normally very quickly. And we can pray really confidently around this. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 says, to one that's given through the spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. So if you find uh, that um, you're just too clogged up in your mind to hear what God might be saying, this community of faith can help you with that. We can be praying, and, and uh, I must have seen on the weekend 500 examples of that, literally, of people praying and people getting clarification from the Lord as uh, the people work through the gifts of the Spirit. The final one is E. E is encouragement. We all need encouragement. And, and one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the encourager. Courage within. He gives you courage again. And he loves to instill hope and expectancy in our lives. He wants us to be encouraged. He wants us to be full of hope, optimistic, not down in the dumps, overcoming, not being overcome. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope. We know God is a God of love and we know about faith, but this hope thing eludes so many of us. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of, guess who, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is everything about the Christian walk. You can't live it without him. You can look good on your own, but you're not going to be fruitful on your own. You can't do it. We need the Spirit in every facet of our life, in every part of the calling that he's got for our life. We can't do it in our own strength. We're not supposed to. We never could, never will. Incredible. We have some examples, and I want to just come into a prayer time now, and we've had some... Um, some further words of knowledge for, uh, from our prayer team about that, some people here today. and uh, We're going to have a ministry time in a moment and invite you to come and receive prayer for these. Or you may just uh, get healed where you are. Feel free to do that. Loss of hearing in one or both ears. If, if that's a condition you're suffering with, um, God's calling you. This one is, a, is, is sensitive. I'll, I'll speak it out, understanding uh, this can be difficult. But someone is sensing that they're so ashamed of themselves, it's caused them to feel that they're trapped in their life and they're just craving that freedom again. In another sense, another person agreed, had the same word, essentially, a sense of someone feeling trapped, held back, trying to get free, that you're out of control of your life. God wants to give you freedom and the authority to do that. And finally, a sense uh, of healing is needed in somebody's right foot. So if they apply to you, uh, just come on out through the worship time and I'll invite the band to come on up and, um, and we'll start ministering in the spirit. It's, it's just so normative now. I, I, I'm loving what the Lord's doing amongst us. Anything here is possible. What do you need? 
externally, internally. God can do it. God can do it. It's available. It's not automatic. Just getting a message through. The team are downloading as we speak. Can we just come together in prayer? Let's just seek the Holy Spirit's movement amongst us. I just love that this is a non-downloadable environment. This is all probably being videoed, but it's what happens here happens because God's people have come together and we believe together. Lord, we just thank you for your power. And as the message has just come through, I, I agree with it. We need to pray for our parents here today. Parents who've had the kids that are down the front. Parents of kids who don't come to church. And we've got a night coming up in a few weeks where we're praying for the prodigals and we're going to talk into that a bit more. It's coming up in a few weeks' time where we're going to call them home. But I pray for you now before I'm praying for them. I pray for the, every parent in this place. Lord, I pray for faith. I pray for courage. Lord, it's, it's, it's more difficult now to parent children than it has been for many generations. More difficult to parent them in the faith. But it's even more difficult just to parent them. They're the requirement for both to be working and, and the pressures of inflation of taking their toll. I pray for you. I bless you that you would always have enough. That you would have enough materially and you'd have enough spiritually. And I just want to bless the marriages here. And there's always a number that are under attack. I pray that the evil one would have no say and no sway over those things, over your relationships. That the Lord himself would clear the air and reunite families. I bless the families in Jesus' name. And Lord, I bless all those now who have known troubled waters. And we release again, not only the peace of, of Christ himself, but the authority and the awareness of the authority to own that. Lord, we take back that peace. And, and if you've been lacking peace, what has caused that? Who's the person? What's the situation? Just name it in your own soul. And just confess, I've let my peace belong to someone and something else. But now take that peace back and say, that belongs to me. You don't have authority over that. And take back your peace. And may the peace of Christ that's beyond all understanding calm your heart, give you purpose. Return your joy and give you hope. Because the reality is you can't lose for winning. It doesn't matter what's happening out there. The stuff that matters happens inside of you. Lord, will you fill our hearts, fill our hearts with righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit.